I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying from Merrick. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Oh, hey, it's the cup of hazelnut flavored truck stop coffee. You're too ashamed to admit you love Allie Ward. Back with another episode of Ologies. Ooh, tiny chameleons, drooling dragons, venomous thick boys, legless lizards, and more. But first, thank yous. Thank you to everyone supporting Ologies on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who gets Ologies merch from ologiesmerch.com. Thanks to everyone keeping Ologies up in the science charts and for telling your friends and family and foes. Maybe those overlap. And thank you for leaving such nice reviews that you know that I creep on days when I'm wondering, do people like this? So to prove it, I read a fresh one. For example, Katie Derrick says, prepare to change your life. This podcast is life-changing. Did you hear me? Life-changing, all caps, they say. Start with the episode on fear and then listen to every single other one. And thank you to everyone who listens as they do field work in Alaska or do chores or paint your kids' rooms or do the dishes or go on road trips. I'm honored to be in your pocket. Okay, lizards. Serology, let's talk about it. Guess how freaking elated I was when one day I was very busy lamenting that my wonderful herpetology episode with Dr. David Steen covered too many scaly bases. And then I stumbled upon a Wikipedia page identifying herpetology subfields. My eyes landed on the most beautiful word. Serology. Some angels sang, some clouds parted, just a single tear raced down my cheek, and I looked out a window and I whispered to this guy, I fucking love lizards, man. Soros in Greek means lizards. I had just the serologist to make all of our dreams come true. I followed her on Twitter for months and months, and on Wednesdays, she posts a game called hashtag find that lizard. And these are photos from her fieldwork that you swear, zooming over all of the pixels, they gotta be a hoax. There's no lizards in there, but in fact, there is a lizard. So find that lizard made me love lizards and Wednesdays even more. So I had her over to have a real time find that lizard session among some local grasses and cacti and also my neighbor, Donna, who's awesome and wondered why I was in my bushes. She's a lizard scientist. We're looking for lizards. Yeah, this is Erin. Hi. Nice to meet you. Just the bottom. They always in my yard. Really? We were looking. They usually perch on these rocks. 
are they, I guess they're warming themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. So she's like a professional lizard scientist. Nice. I see a beer bottle. I don't know what species of beer bottle. It might be a genus Budweiser. <laughs> species light. Oh, every once in a while, I think I see something out of the corner of my... Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. That's a lizard. Yeah. yeah, you see it? Yes. Oh my God, I thought I was hallucinating. Oh. Does it ever happen where you um, you don't know if you saw a lizard or if you hallucinated? Yes. Yeah. All the time. Everything is a lizard. Everything. That bush is a lizard. That rock is a lizard. That piece of grass is a lizard. I'm just like, oh, movement, it must be a lizard. <laughs> so we ran with it and we crouched near a cactus to watch for some tiny movements and listen for scuttly rustling. And we saw three dang lizards. And then we settled into my couch to chat about everything from geckos, anti-gravity grip to Komodo dragon mouths to Godzilla to her wildly popular Find That Lizard hashtag game on Twitter, to field season, to Gila monster sightings, close encounters with lions, balls of snoozy lizards getting hygge as hell in a hibernaculum, to some sound advice on social anxiety, and how to succeed in literally any field or ambition. So spread out on a rock, soak in the warmth of this ray of science sunshine, serologist Erin McGee. Now you are, I looked this up, you're a serologist. Yes. Did you know that before? I did not. Really? No, no one really uses that word, but you know, I'm very happy it exists. It works. It works. Now, when you tell people what you do, like at a dinner party, say, or someone's just introducing you, do you tell them that you're a lizard scientist? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Hopefully people are curious enough to ask you like leading questions so that you can dive in. And I mean, I would love to leave a dinner party and know more about lizards. Who wouldn't? I mean, that's true. <laughs> now, why why lizards? Are they your favorite kind of wildlife or did you just like being out in nature and field work and then you found that you started to do a lot of research here? So I always knew that I wanted to work with animals from like birth to undergrad. I was like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. And like, you know, I was like one of those teacher's pet type of kids. But like in the second grade, this one time, this lady was like, yeah, you can't be a veterinarian. And apparently, according to my parents, I told her off. What did you just say to me? Because, <laughs> because I got sent to the principal's office and like, in my family, you don't get sent to the principal's office. You just don't do that. And so like they had to come get me. And I was like, listen, <laughs> But then I got to undergrad and I went and I talked to like some uh, med school students and they were like, yeah, we have friends in med school and they're miserable. I think that the requirements of going through the process of med school are just different where it's a lot more intense because you actually have to save these animals lives and treat them and, you know, give them medicine and you don't want to overdose somebody's pet. Mm -hmm. So the pressure's on. Yeah. So vets, thank you vets. I appreciate you because we appreciate you know, you. my puka, my dog, his vet is awesome. <laughs> but you were like, maybe, maybe not for me right. at some point. When did you get to pivot a little bit? So my freshman year of undergrad, I did this program called HCOP. 
That's the acronym. Aaron went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. and participated in HCOP, Health Careers Opportunity Program. And a mentor there introduced her to Dr. George Minendorf, a herpetologist who became her undergrad advisor. And then one of my other friends was like, hey, you like animals and you also need money to pay for this school. (laughs) You should apply to the Environmental Biology Scholars Program. She applied And she got in and got to poke around in some different types of field work to see what floated her boat. One guy was working with fish and I was not really interested in fish like that. (laughs) And so then I started working with lizards and then I went out to the Chiricahua Mountains for the first time the uh, summer after my freshman year. And I was like, wow, this is perfect. I get to be outside. I get to catch lizards. And this is like... You know, doing this work is like, it's hard, but it's not like vet school hard. So I was like, this is like the perfect, this is perfect everything. It meets all my criteria. Erin says she realized doing field work that there are still so many questions about ecology and animals that were never answered. And that really excited her. And she graduated from Howard with a bachelor's in biology and then headed out to the University of Arizona to get her master's in wildlife conservation and management through the School of Natural Resources and the Environment. And she's now working toward her PhD in the same field. And speaking of being outstanding in the field, when you are catching lizards, tell, walk me through what that is like in the field. Like, wh- how early do you have to get to a field site? What is it like? Like, where do you start? All right. So for the projects that I've been doing, I've had already, I scouted, you know, sites. And so we would start about eight in the morning or so, Mm -hmm. because like for the most part, the lizards aren't out like super, super early. You want it to be warm by the time they get out and normally about eight, eight thirty ish. Mm hmm. It's warm enough. I love that these lizards are like, it's too early, like uh, like 8, 30, 9 o'clock, you know. And that's also perfect for me because I (laughs) am not an early bird at all. So like birds are out. (laughs) I was just like, listen, mm, can't do it. it. (laughs) I guess there's... There's no, like, the early lizard gets the fly. You don't hear that. <laughs> yeah, so um, we'll get we'll get up, have breakfast, then we go grab all of our stuff. We have to make sure that we all have our lizard poles, and everybody has to make sure that their line is um, good, and then it's not too short, it's not too long. Erin, by the way, has a very cool piece of equipment called a lasso, and it's essentially a little knot of silk thread and it's on a fishing pole she can extend it out and then she can loop it around a lizard and zip she's got the lizard so we have like a whole fanny pack system and so Mm -hmm. like the fanny pack has like the notebook that we take our notes in um pencils pens rulers scissors all that kind of stuff that we need and then like we just pass off the fanny pack to the people who need them (laughs) who needs it at whatever time and so then when you're like you walk through however far you need to get to get into the site. And then once you're in the site, pole is in hand. So that way, when you see a lizard, you're ready to, you know, go for it. Mm-hmm. And so then at that point, we're just walking up and down the site. However many times that we've decided that we're going to walk up and down the site. Normally, it's just walk up once, walk down once, and then leave. Mm-hmm. If there are no lizards, and occasionally in some sites there have been no lizards, it's pretty quick. And then in uh, sites where there are a lot of lizards, you know, we might spend two, three hours in a site catching lizards this is such a stupid question but what is 
a lizard. I mean, we're talking a reptile. Yes. We're talking not a snake. It has legs, although there are legless lizards. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. But what differentiates a lizard from, say, a snake other than legs? I feel like somewhere in between a toad and a snake lies a lizard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like in a Venn diagram of limbs and such. But I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the bones of their head mm-hmm. shapes and their skulls. It's something to do with how their back bones and stuff oh, that are makes put sense. together. Turns out that defining a lizard's isn't the easiest because there's so much variety in them. Y'all, there are lizards that have venom, that have third eye organs at the top of their heads. They have scary Shakespearean collars. There are ones that dive and eat algae in the sea. Others that walk on water. What? Like a Jesus? They can take down a water buffalo that can clone themselves. There are wall crawlers, night singers, blood shooters. Also, it's early in the episode, but I'll go there. The males have two dicks. Why not travel with a spare? But don't worry, female lizards are known to have two clitorises, and researchers don't know what they're for. But, you know, maybe they should just ask. But the book definition of a lizard is any suborder of reptiles distinguished from the snakes by a fused, inseparable lower jaw, a single temporal opening, that's a skull hole, kiddos, Uh, external ears, eyes with movable lids, and two pairs, total four, well-differentiated functional limbs, which could be lacking, though, in burrowing forms. So there's your definition of a lizard. And also, yes, there are wormy-looking legless lizards. Also, I just Google image searched lizard ears because I just needed like a little dose of cute. And somehow up popped a photo of a person who had gauged ears with a live anole resting in the rubbery hammock of this person's lobe flesh. So that's enough of that. Also, some lizards like green anoles and monitor lizards and Komodo dragons, which are monitor lizards, are super smart. Researchers say maybe on par with some bird species. So does Erin find that when she's out catch and releasing them for her data? So it depends on the lizard. Okay. Some lizards are smarter than other lizards. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it also depends on if they've been caught before. (gasps) Really? Because then they've learned. They now know what it is. And so sometimes like... A lizard will see you and it's just like, hmm, they're not going to bother me or hmm, they don't see me. My camouflage is good enough. And then you can like just walk right on, like right up on them. Or like sometimes they'll see you and they'll run and then you have to run with them and you're chasing a lizard. And you know, sometimes it takes like three or four people to catch one lizard because you're just like, hmm. Erin told me that to track them, her research team, like herpetologists all over the world, sometimes has to snip off a few toes in a certain order as a marker. So toe clipping has its critics, of course, but catching and releasing lizards to monitor them, especially with climates changing and water sources drying up, is important to the work that herpers are doing. And she says she takes just the minimum she needs for identification. And I did not ask what she does with the toes. I started researching to see if you can buy small bags of lizard toes. Like maybe she could put them to use and sell them to a site for witches. And then that landed me on a Wiccan page to see if they actually do use lizard toes for anything. 
Honestly, they didn't have anything about lizard toes. Just some helpful info on candles and herbs and crystals. Before I knew it, I was on Wiccan Living reading a really great article about gratitude that really made my day. I was like, thanks, witches. Most of you are probably vegan anyway. So yeah, if wild lizards don't respond by name, how else can you recognize them? So I also paint mark them mm-hmm. on the, their back. So I'll just give them like a n- little number. How long do lizards live? Are you seeing the same ones like later on in the field season, maybe next year? So they can live generally a little while. And it also depends on the species. But like the lizards that I'm looking at normally don't get too, too much older than five or so in Ooh. the wild. Like my undergrad advisor was just like, he would see this one big male lizard year after year just like displaying to everyone and hello ladies one day it got swooped up by a bird oh did he see it yeah he was there for it Mm -hmm. that's pretty opportune i'd have to say like in terms of getting some closure on where that lizard went right you know oh my god was he just like so screaming i probably would be like no He he didn't go into all that details you do see them year after year You're like, hey, what's up? It's you Mm -hmm. again. And they like to hang out in the same areas for the most part. So it's not like they're finding a different rock. They're like, this is my rock. Pretty much. You've come to my rock. Shocker. I'm here on this rock again. It's not like they're going to move to New Jersey out of nowhere. And so for the most part, most of the lizards didn't move more than five meters. And so we would see lizards year after year after year in the same um, places. I look back like five years because my undergrad advisor george he has been going out to the same site for you know like 40 years so he had all this historical data that i could look at and grab onto and what do lizards usually eat are they out there eating mostly bugs so again it depends on the species but like Mm -hmm. lizards that i work with like they eat like small insects do they do the thing where they throw their tongue out or no is that just chameleons okay i'm not sure if it's just chameleons is a chameleon a lizard Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Just for yeah. one of those, where I was like, I don't know, it's got these foldable toes, you know? It's like, yeah. its toes are like a pita pocket. I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, maybe it's not even a lizard. Yeah, no, it's totally a lizard. It seems like a souped up lizard because it's like, uh, curly tail, yes. Weird toes, yes. I change right. colors and I have a telescopic tongue. Like, it's got cone eyes. Yeah. Why does, why did a chameleon get all these features? Got lucky. I guess, man. Okay, side note, I tried to research this and types of lizard tongues was turning up relatively little. Then I tried to get fancier, searching for lingual morphology in lizard species. And I found this paper, Evolution and Function of Lingual Shape in Lizards with Emphasis on Elongation, Extensibility, and Chemical Sampling. But that was more about sniffing. More on that later. So then I went on a chameleon deep dive and I had to hold on to my butt for the info that came next. So number one, chameleon's tongues can be up to twice the length of their bodies. And they're made of bone and tendon and elastic tissue folded like an accordion. And then they stretch it back like a bow. And then they flick that thing out, accelerating. You ready for this? Car buff people from zero to 60 in one one hundredths of a second. There are over 200 species of chameleons, and there are some that are so teeny, teeny, tiny that they can sit on the tip of a match, which I hope they only do for Nat Geo photo ops. Because imagine sitting on a giant ball of highly 
flammable explosives, just so people could get an idea of like how much you weigh. Nightmares on nightmares. Okay, but to summarize, these little buddies are native to Africa, Madagascar, Sri Lanka, Southern Europe, and they have prehensile curly tails that can grab stuff. They have swivelly eyes with cone-shaped lids that can move independently from each other, and they can switch from monocular to binocular vision when they need it. They can change their skin color by moving the spaces between pigment crystals under their skin. Certain chameleons have bones that glow under UV light, and yes, their toes face each other. And this is called zygodactyl in case you're ever playing Scrabble and you have a Z and two Ys. I thought, damn, these lizards must be the newest models on the market. But they've identified species around 60 million years old. They may be up to 100 million years old. So they have some special features. But how do other lizards eat? Do they just order pizzas and give up on life? So a lot of times, um, some lizards, they kind of like are sin and wait predators. So they'll just like, hmm. I see you run up and then go back to where they were perched. Mm -hmm. So they'll just use locomotion Mm -hmm. to go in and catch a fly or whatever. Yeah. And now do you have to see if their diet's changing year to year? Like if there's different insects or they're, they're hungrier one year than another. So I was looking at if they were eating emerging aquatic insects out of streams because no one has actually looked at whether like, their food sources are purely terrestrial or if there are any aquatic ones and so because of you know climate change and stream drying and drought and all that i was like well if they're eating these aquatic insects and they're important then you know they could be negatively impacted when these streams go away so how does she figure out what wild lizards are eating well she sequences their poop They're not using it anymore. Okay, she might as well. She figured this is the same technique they use with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. So we were in the middle of talking about poop and I got distracted by something on my porch. I'm so sorry. There's a lizard on the pole. Okay, see that pole? I swear I didn't hallucinate, but there was a big (laughs) Western fence lizard on that pole. I believe you. It went on the other side. I believe you 100%. I got so excited and it ducked out of (laughs) you. It was there, though. It was taunting us. So you figure if you can do it with big cats. Why not? Like People have like the DNA sequences of, you know, aquatic insects. So if they have it and then I have the poop and then the DNA is going to be in the poop. Boom. It only makes sense. Do you think you're the first person to analyze lizard poop? Mm, Probably not. (laughs) What's the most beautiful lizard? The most beautiful lizard, well, for me, it's going to have to, like, Slopper Sherevi, Yarrow Lizard, has a very special place in my heart. It really? It will always be, you know, my favorite, the most beautiful to me. Yeah, because it was just, like, once, um, that was, like, the main species that I worked with, like, during my undergrad. And so, like, for me, it's just, like, a symbol of, like, the world opening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I did it and like that was like my whole new world because I was like I didn't know that this was like a thing that I could do and now I do and you're now my special lizard <laughs> quick aside so the yarrow spiny lizard goes by Skeleporus yarrowvi in formal occasions and it is quite a stunner their backs can have an orange glow kind of like an Edison bulb in a good first date bar And its tail has this gray ombre that fades into this brilliant turquoise color. It's so gorgeous. It's the kind of blue you would see in pictures of like shallow tropical waters in Instagram vacation photos of a person that you hate follow. 
Erin explains. What do they look like? <laughs> so they are a mediumish sized lizard. Uh, the males get these nice blue patches on their stomachs and on the, either side of their stomachs and on their throat. They can get like really like brilliant, like orangish colors on their back and blue and like th- there's they're a little variable but they're really pretty in the, especially in the sunlight why do you think they have those blue patches what do you what does that serve what purpose so uh mating and to show you know who's boss don't come over in my territory i am the big bat male you see how dark this blue is you see it you see it go away really <laughs> you're like oh. unless you're a female <laughs> In which case, come closer. Right. Is there any truth to the flim flam that if you rub a lizard on its stomach, it'll get like so entranced you can just hang out with it for a minute? No? I mean, once you catch it, it's just, I mean, sometimes they're going to like try to bite you and then some of them are just like, well, this is the end. (laughs) I'm just going to sit here now. They're like, you got me. Like game over. Pretty much. But really, you just mark them and then let them go again right yeah so it's kind of a happy ending right yeah they're alive still they're alive something they might be missing a couple of toes but and now you have a poodle you don't have any pet lizards no okay what do you think about pet lizards Um, as long as you know how to care for them and you do so properly and you are not getting any illegal pets or things that are bring disease because you went through a person or a a company that is just like, "Hmm, well, we're just going to grab up these lizards and send them around. So as long as you do it responsibly, then I don't see any issue with it. So also don't get like a baby iguana and then let it loose in the backyard when it gets ugly. Exactly. Yeah. Because like, like shelters do take lizards. You have an unconventional pet and you don't want it anymore and you're worried about getting rid of it. You can take it to the shelter. They'll take it. They'll take your your middle-aged scaly iguana. Yeah. I know. I do feel like everyone gets a baby iguana, and then they're like, oh, God. Right. This thing's going to live Big. forever. Right now. <laughs> yeah, live me. P.S. Florida, you are overrun with iguanas right now. So the green iguana in particular has just flourished after folks who got them as pets in the 80s bailed and let them loose in the bushes. And then more hurricanes that we're having recently blew them over from some distant lands. And then also global warming just keeping Florida nice and toasty. So what is the problem with having 80 feral iguanas in your yard? I'm glad you asked. South Florida residents do not enjoy swimming pools felled with iguana turds, which can also carry salmonella. Also, iguanas can grow to be five feet long. They love to eat gardens and they also like to eat power lines, meaning sometimes there are power outages because iguanas have eaten the power lines. Sometimes they turn up in people's toilets. It sounds like an iguana party, but the state's not into it. So what is a Florida to do? Well, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission released the directive a few months ago that people can and should kill them, quote, whenever possible. Did this lead to a Florida man iguana hunting, but shooting his neighbor's pool guy on accident? Yes. Yes, it did. Non-fatally, but still. So the Fish Commission had to release another statement just a few weeks ago saying, kill them humanely, i.e. quickly, preferably with a bow and arrow or traps or a rock and try not to shoot each other, essentially. Now, another option, eat them. Locals apparently refer to iguanas as 
pollos de arboles, or chicken of the trees. And historically, they're a menu item in Western Mexico. People eat iguanas all the time. So sunshine staters are like, why the hell not? Florida Sun Sentinel published a helpful video on how to cook and fashion these local pests into burritos. The meat is lean, the protein content's high, and reports are it has a body like a rabbit with a bony, fishy kind of tail. But tastes like chicken. Is this chicken what I have or is this fish? What are some flimflammeries about lizards that you feel like myths that you would like to bust? Hmm. They're not slimy for one. And for the most part, they're not going to hurt you. Like, they want to be left alone. Like if you see a lizard, there's no need to be afraid. They're not scary. Are there people who are afraid of lizards? There are people. Mm -hmm. Like I encounter lots of people who are afraid of lizards and I get it. But then it's just like, but it's a lizard. It doesn't want to bother you. It just wants to eat the bugs. Mind? Trying to eat here. That seems like a great thing to have in your house. Like right. if, if you find a lizard in your house, should you just let it hang out or should you escort it outside? You should probably escort it outside because it might not be enough bugs in your house for it to live off of. It needs some water sources and it probably got in there by accident. It probably was hanging out on the door and you opened the door and it got scared. And so like it just went inside by accident. It probably wants to go back outside. Okay. So don't keep it as your as your like personal extermination service. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> I could see having just like a house gecko that you're like, go get it. Right. Get it. You know, there's a mosquito. Get it. Let's talk about Aaron's viral Twitter game that runs on Wednesdays called hashtag find that lizard. So part of the reason we went lizard hunting is that I'm obsessed with find that lizard and I wanted to experience it with its creator. Boy, howdy. Was it a damn thrill? I see him. He's just chilling out. I can't believe I didn't bring my phone to take a picture. This would be a good find that lizard. He's playing with us. I figured it would want to be in something like this because it's easy to mm -hmm. have somewhere to hide and it's also pretty decent to get some sun. Yeah. You've made finding a lizard like seeing a celebrity in the grocery <laughs> store. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have, uh, you've taken over my Wednesdays Yeah. with find that lizard. Yeah. Hashtag find that lizard. It's my favorite thing to do on the internet. Whoa. You and Kaylee Swift's uh, Crow or No. It's like Wednesdays of the best. Oh, and then Whose Poop Is This is also yeah. another fun game. But find that lizard. I like wait until it's five o'clock central yeah. time. It's going to go up. I know I've got a couple hours to find the lizard. Yeah. How did you start this and why is it taking over my brain? So... I just posted a picture one day because I was, I was upset. Well, I wasn't upset. I was just, you know, <laughs> energized. Like I was just, you know, really hot in the moment because I was, I was trying to catch this lizard and she was giving me like a really good chase and she almost got away. And it's like, I was about to give up. And then I looked back, I was like, am I really going to give up on catching this lizard today? And then I saw it, I saw her and she was in this tree and I was like, I almost missed her. Her camouflage was so good, but she was a recapture. So she had this bright orange five on her back because mm -hmm. I had already marked her. And so I was like, if it wasn't for this five on her back, I would have missed her. Look, guys. <laughs> and then people were like, I know you said she has a mark, but I don't see her. <laughs> 
And so I was like, really? And then they were, and then people were just like, yeah, this is fun. I think it gets their competitive nature going. Yeah. Cause they're just like, there's not a lizard in this photo. <laughs> and I'm like, there is. And they're like, don't, don't you touch that phone. Don't you take, I'm still looking. I'm still looking for the lizard. Do you have your phone on you? So when you're in the field, you see a lizard and before you advance on the lizard, you're like, I got to get a picture of this. No one's going to be able to see this lizard. Yeah, I totally do that. <laughs> How many do you have in a backlog? Because I want to know that like we're covered for a long time with this. 52 at least, please. <laughs> you go week to week. Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Yeah. That's how I make this podcast. It's so pretty much. It's just like, well, if I can, if I'm in the space and I can get a bunch of pictures, I will. Like there, there has to be some, cause like I recently had to upgrade my storage with iCloud because they're like, yeah, you have too many pictures. Like, well, I'm not deleting anything right now. Cause I don't know. Uh, if I have any good ones in here. But I also probably have thousands of pictures with no lizards in them. Oh, Is that because you thought you saw a lizard? Or like I was about to, like I pressed the button, but as soon as I pressed the button, it moves. <laughs> or it ran away, you know. So like I spend a lot of time going through pictures looking for lizards that aren't there. <laughs> but that's what I love about the game is you at first glance, you're like, there's absolutely no way that there's a lizard in this and then when you find the lizard it's such a triumph yeah. and then it, it makes you appreciate the lizard and how much evolution went into that kind of camouflage yeah um do you feel like hashtag find that lizard has gotten people more stoked about lizards yeah, yeah. like people um have told me that it's made them like more interested in lizards and made them think that it's cool and i'm just like yes lizards are cool yes lizards are cool what is it about kind of the predator prey relationship where they're so hard to spot but you have to listen for the rustle or you have to see this little flicker of movement like are they prey for a lot of animals mm -hmm. yeah yeah they prey for pretty much everything bigger than them even like other lizards oh no like lizards will eat lizards, snakes will eat lizards, small mammals will eat lizards, large mammals will eat lizards. Really? <laughs> Birds are eating the lizards. Everything eats lizards. So they have to play for the long game. <laughs> They're kind of the sandwich of the natural world. Pretty like, much. You know, everyone's like, yeah, I'll take a lizard. Yeah, sure. Yeah. My undergrad advisor calls baby lizards ecological popcorn because yeah. everybody just... Snaps them up, just, you know, a handful at a time. Now, where are lizards having their babies? Because I'm picturing the desert and I'm, or like rocky ground. And I'm, mm -hmm. Are they, are they having clutches, nests? So, um, it depends on the species. Okay. So, um, some lizards are live bearers. So they'll just, you know, pick a spot and pop them out. And then other lizards, like they lay eggs. And so then they're, well, the vast majority of lizards lay eggs, but some of them give live birth. But, uh, so they'll, uh, Scloppers frigatus, the striped plateau lizard will wait until like it rains. And when the ground is nice and soft and they'll go out and they'll dig and then they'll bury their eggs and cover them up. And then, uh, sometimes when you're walking along, the trail and you see all these like scratch marks it's because something came by and ate the eggs oh. and they dug them up oh no that's yeah. like ecological <laughs> jelly beans <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know it's going to depend on the species but do some lizards have like two eggs and some are just like oh i got like 50 babies in here mm, i can only really speak for the ones that i study mm -hmm. and like a lot of times they're popping out a lot of them yeah because they have to survive the numbers mm -hmm. game mm-hmm 
Let's talk big lizards who can regulate temperature more slowly because of their mass to surface area ratio. And for more on that, get all into body heat fun facts with a knoll researcher and thermophysiologist Dr. Shane Campbell-Staten in the previous thermophysiology episode. He's amazing. Stupidest question. Alligators. They are lizards. No. 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 Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> I just realized, I was like, how big does a lizard get? Is yeah. an alli- Why isn't an alligator a lizard? I'm sorry. They're just, just not. not. <laughs> Is a Komodo dragon maybe the biggest? Is a Komodo dragon a I lizard? Think, I think yeah. they are the biggest. Yeah, they are lizards. And when you see those pic- those videos of them like slow motion eating a deer. Right. You're like, like, what is life? Komodo dragons, by the by hail from the Indonesian islands and can get up to 10 feet long and weigh 150 pounds. And we'll touch on them a little later, but I don't mean that literally because there were none in my backyard and no thank you. I don't want to lay any hands on any one of those. No way, no how. Side note, I just looked it up and there is a place in Jakarta where according to TripAdvisor user Goldie6 from Ohio, quote, the Komodo dragon building was gorgeous and for a little extra, you can touch a live but well-fed Komodo dragon for the thrill of a lifetime. Goldie6, you're from America. Isn't life here thrillingly scary enough? Anyway, we're going to get to your Patreon questions. But before that, a few words about sponsors I like who make it possible each week to donate to a cause of the ologist choosing. And this week, Erin picked the Doris Duke Conservation Scholars Program, or DDCSP, which is a highly selective two-year undergraduate research program focused on preparing the next generation of diverse environmental conservation professionals. And it offers immersive experience learning opportunities, and access to mentorship opportunities. So for more information, you can visit dorisdukeconservationscholars.org. Now, some words about the sponsors who are making that donation possible. This podcast and my life is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you know that I didn't have a website for forever because I was putting it off because I was scared and then I heard another podcast talk about Squarespace. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. I had a website up that day. They have beautiful templates. They host. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Look at me. Even I did it. You can sell products. You can sell your time. They have this guided design system. It's called Squarespace Blueprint. You can select from a layout. There are styling options. You can get your website discovered with these integrated, optimized SEO tools so people find you when they Google. They also have easy to use payment tools. So checkout, very easy for customers, which is what you want. There's also Squarespace AI, which can help you explain what your site is about. You can choose your tone. Whether you're a scientist who wants to share your work with the world, whether you are starting up a business selling tiny paintings of tiny books, or a choreographer selling dance classes, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I recommend it to all my friends even when I'm not recording an ad. Okay. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Do you know what that means? It means I won't be making soup over a hot stove. I will be making Factor because they are fresh, never frozen meals that are dietitian approved. They're ready to eat in just two minutes and watch out, they're delicious. I was like, are they really as good as people say? I have some neighbors. One of them's a nurse. One of them is a firefighter. And yes, they're both as attractive as they sound. They're like, yeah, we love Factor meals. And I was like, I bet you do. You're gorgeous. Boom. Tried them. I was like, these are delicious. They're also 
also good for days when I'm lazy. They have 35 different meals. You'll always have new flavors to explore. I have never had a factor meal that I've been like, nah. They've all been so good. Restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon and shrimp and blackened salmon. Also, way more healthy and less expensive than takeout or ordering in. So there you go. Trust my hot neighbors. Head to factormeals.com slash ologies50 and use the code ologies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code ologies50 at factormeals.com slash ologies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Bon appetit, you're welcome. Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. (laughs) It needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand 7th Generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm? Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark, it's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Okay, back to your questions. I have some Patreon questions. May I ask you? Yeah, let's get into it. Some people submitted several questions themselves. Like some people were like, I have five questions about lizards and I'm going to submit them all. Bethany Sispansky. A lot of Z's in that. Just saying. Wow. Took me a minute. Figure out how to say that. Okay. (laughs) Says, I've read that Western fence lizard blood reduces the prevalence of Lyme disease and is any research being done to create a vaccine based on this? Have you heard about? So I have actually recently heard about Western fence lizards being able to help fight uh, Lyme disease. I know absolutely nothing about it besides that that is a real and actual thing. Okay, side note. When Lyme-infected nymph ticks feed on Western fence lizards, a certain percentage become Lyme-free as adult ticks. And this was first discovered in 1998 by UC Berkeley entomologist 
Robert Lane. And a certain protein in these blessed, beautiful, blue-bellied babies' blood kills the Lyme spirochete bacteria. For more on this, you can see the Acarology and Disease Ecology episodes, which were out a few months ago. And by see, I mean here. And in no time, you're going to be lovingly screaming at your loved ones to check their crevices. And you should check yours also. So don't eat a Western fence lizard. Right. Let them go out and do their do their work. Exactly. Jude Kenny wants to know, if a lizard loses its tail, does it grow back? If so, can this be made to happen in other animals by some kind of genetic engineering? And Crystal Mendoza says, this question, please ask this one. <laughs> so who else wanted to know about lizard tails? Like all of you, because it's a good question. But by all of you, I mean specifically Andreas Ari, Richard Jens, lizard lover and first-time question asker, Jennifer Alvarez, James Irvine, B. Wilson, Shannon Snyman, Carolina, and Peter Dupuis Jr. So what is it about the tail that's like, oh, okay, I'll make another one? I do not know what the exact mechanisms that, like, tell the lizard's body to start regenerating a tail, but they totally can. The idea is that they have vertebrae along the tail, and at certain sections it will just break. And so that way it just, it just pops off. And so that the tail will still be moving and hopefully it will distract whatever predator has grabbed the lizard. And then that the lizard itself can run away. And I have no idea if people are looking into like using it for other things, like for people or whatnot. But I would assume that someone at some point has actually looked into this. I wonder if you could just crisper yourself a tail. You're like, you know what I'd like? I'd like to just grow a tail today. (laughs) Um, Danielle Rivera wants to know, why are parthenogenic lizards so cool? Parentheses, they are so cool. Um, So wants to know, they, I guess, can they just make more lizards without a mate? Yes. (gasps) All the same ladies. You know, sometimes when you don't meet men, it's just... (laughs) It's just the cool thing, you know, sometimes you want things done and you want it done your way. And that means that nobody else is involved but you. Maybe they're career lizards. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to wait around. Are they clones or are they a mashup? They're clones. They are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if they're all named like Sharon, Shana, Shara. I knew someone whose family was all named like Cheryl and (laughs) Shannon, Shana, like... Just name them all after right. you. You're like, see ya. That's cool. Does that happen when maybe there aren't resources or there aren't males? Or does that just happen because like time's right, now's good? So I was looking this up for some whooptail species, especially the ones that you can find in southern Arizona. And it happens when one closely related species mates with another closely related species. And then the babies they produce ends up being parthenogenic. I started reading some research papers on this, but I want to give hardcore props to the Wikipedia page titled Parthenogenesis in Squamata, which sounds like actual gibberish verbal coleslaw. But once you know parthenogenesis means literally virgin birth, aka all the single ladies, and squamata means snakes and lizards, Squata means scale in Latin. So one species of snake, but 50 species of lizard, roughly, undergo obligate parthenogenesis. And that means that's the only way they do it. That's how they reproduce. And then there's an unknown number that mostly do it when there just aren't dudes around. And that's called facultative parthenogenesis. 
I think that is how you say it. Also, apparently busting out children solo can benefit reptiles if they say, wash ashore on an island, they find themselves dudeless. And while the whiptail lizards are all clones of their mothers, and no males even exist, other virgin lizard births can happen as full clones of the mother or half clones if she mixes up her own DNA into different alleles. But what if they are of the clone variety? Once they have the cloning ability, it's parthenogenic, you know, party. <laughs> Apart the party? Yeah. <laughs> Just all the guests look identical. Right. I would like to attend that lizardly clone party and just be a gawking wallflower. Speaking of clinging to walls, this next one about magic lizard feet was also asked by Sarah Clips. Patrick McNeely wants to know, how do lizards stick and climb on vertical surfaces so easily when they are relatively large? So I think these are some Vanderwall forces, yeah. right? How are they climbing things? Well, some lizards, you know, they have their claws. They can just, you know get up there with their claws. But then with things like geckos, but they have like these little itty bitty things that allow them to like grip on, you know, the little bitty molecules. Like like we feel like the solid wall. Mm-hmm. Whereas they would have like, oh, there's like these little indents on this solid wall and I can grip on them because I have all these little I don't know exactly what they are, but I have mm-hmm. all these little things on my pads. <gasps> That, so that's how those intermolecular forces are working. That's Vanderwall. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I never understood that before. So I did a little digging and apparently Gecko's feet are covered in fine hairs called seti. And then each of those is frayed at the end like an old rope, giving their feet billions of little bristles called spatulae. So Gecko's feet are just a fuzz factory. And the Vanderwall's forces, a kind of physical bond via electrostatic attraction between those hairs and the little contours in the wall keeps them looking glued to it. When the surface is super slick or those hairs get covered is when their wall walking starts to wane. And I read that a single gecko crawling on a ceiling could support 90 pounds of weight. And one biologist who studied how the precise angles of those hairs help the gecko switch the forces on and off, someone named Keller Autumn, is quoted as saying, geckos are vastly over-engineered. They're overqualified for their wall walking. They're too good at it. And somewhere there's a chameleon raising its eye cones like a bitch and muttering, yeah, yeah, I guess an invisibility cloak isn't enough anymore. Also, I fear a dystopia where robots can climb walls and disappear into their surroundings and flick a wet, sticky muscle 30 feet to catch things. So for now, just make like a happy witch. Appreciate that you weren't born a cricket. Can you imagine? That would suck. This is a good question. Mark Turner asked, what's the purpose of the forked tongue? So it is a sensory again back to surface area mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like if you have like more space to have more of those um things to collect uh scent chemicals on your tongue and then you can like bring it back up to like there's the little thing right here mm-hmm. in the face where they can put um the tongue and then it analyzes like the chemicals and lets them know things about the environment there's a whole name for it and i learned it in class and i just don't remember i'm sorry dr kropowski (laughs) (laughs) you definitely explained it to me but i remember what you were talking about (laughs) this is what asides are for so this organ is called a vomero nasal organ or a jacobson's organ which sounds less like vomiting and is easier to pronounce. A Jacobson's organ is there for lizards to jam their air samplings into the roof of their mouth so that they can figure out what's in the air. Don't you wish you had a vomeronasal organ? 
don't worry, we do. Scientists just think it's hanging out and we don't really use it. But elephants use theirs and so do a bunch of other animals. But we don't care about those other animals. We care about lizards. So it's kind of like putting a broom out there. Like the more mm. bristles you have, the more information you can collect. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, Christina Weaver wants to know, what makes a Komodo dragon's bite so terrible? They have a big head with a whole lot of sharp teeth. Mm-hmm. And then they also have venom glands and... They will inject you with venom and it's nasty stuff. Really? Yeah. What is that? Is that to kind of paralyze prey or to stun it? After a while, you will start to get paralyzed, but uh, it basically starts breaking down your body from the inside. Whoa, my God. Yeah. That's effective. What are those big old drooly things that they've got? Is that drool or do they have sensory organs? You know, sometimes you watch like a Komodo dragon in slow motion and, and it's it has just, like stuff coming down. Just like yeah, dingle true. dangles. Yeah, that's drool. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, that drool is... It stinks. So oh, we're right. Is it? Is it stinky? <laughs> I would assume so. Ooh. Hopefully one day I'll get close enough to find out, you know. Like close enough where I was like a cool thing, but not close enough where they're going to eat my face. Maybe a sleepy one. Yeah. A sleeping dragon. Yeah. I mean, compared to fire-breathing dragon, venom and drool isn't that bad. Yeah. You know? Quick aside on Komodo dragon drool. So for decades, it was thought that the bacteria in their mouths acted as a venom, and that was what was killing their prey. Before researchers realized, oh no, it's just actual venom they have. They even went so far as to swab and culture Komodo dragon mouths and found out that they're relatively clean for an animal that eats a bunch of rotting meat. So their teeth rip apart prey, and then their venom toxins lower the prey's blood pressure and prevent clotting so that their victims bleed out and then they eat their corpses. Now, water buffaloes, when injured though, they'll go hide and usually in a pool of stagnant water. So why water buffaloes get such terrible infections from a Komodo dragon bite? Well, an expert in this, Brian Fry in Queensland, explained thusly. It's the same as if you dumped a whole bunch of cow dung in your pool during the peak heat of summer, shaved your legs with a very old razor, and then went and stood in the water for a day, says Fry. You'd end up with some very tasty infections. This just makes me want to hang out with more lizard researchers. And I would also like to hang out with YouTube uploaders, Team Hazard Rides Again, who filmed a bunch of male Komodo dragons mercilessly slapping each other in the face with their huge tails. Each lizard is reeling like it had just had a skinny margarita tossed in its face on a yacht. But please enjoy their wonderful, delicate moment in dad punnery. Oh, Oh, sorry. Whoa. Knock down, drag it down, fight. Hey, bop, 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 Knock out. Knock down, drag Knockdown dragon fight? Is that what you were going for? Christopher Rougeau wants to know, deadliest lizard? Um, I guess as far as venom and stuff goes, like Komodo dragons, but then it's also like either the Asian monitor or the Nile monitor. One is between one of those two who are like the most aggressive. Mm. I think that those are the ones where they've seen the most death. One of those two that they've seen the most deaths with. And that's just like people getting, you know, too close and harassing the lot, like leave the lizard alone. (laughs) What do they want? Do they want a selfie with the lizard? Maybe. Can you eat know. those big lizards? I mean, I'm sure you can eat just about everything. Well, that's if you really true. wanted to. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't. I personally. I mean, you know. Well, you actually, if I was stuck and stranded somewhere, I might eat a lizard. I yeah. Mean, if it's between me and the lizard, 
I love you, but I'm sorry. If you're naked and afraid enough, it right. seems like anyone <laughs> will eat a lizard. Charlotte Rodrigue wants to know, why do lizards insist on having babies in my ivy plants? Are they going to eat my plants? Um, probably not. It's probably just a safe space for them where they're just like, hmm, I can get around here and then I can hide from stuff. And like, you might have some little aphids or something that fits in baby lizards' mouths. And they're just like, hmm, this is the perfect place to have my babies. They can hide and they have food. So, Sharla, just you should be proud that you're such a good host. Yeah. You know, pretty much make yourself at home in my ivy. I left some aphids out in case you and the kids are hungry. (laughs) Um, James Irvine says so many questions, many O's, Mm -hmm. nine O's. Um, Is it painful when they drop a tail? I don't know if it's painful, like the way that we think about pain. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what that would feel like if I had the ability to just, like, let one of my limbs go. I know. Like, you know, I would feel like it probably would be sore, but I feel like it wouldn't be a whole lot of pain if it's, like, one of those things where it's like, this is what it's supposed to do. Mm, Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you've evolved the ability to drop your tail, chances are you've also evolved not a whole lot of really raw nerve endings there, maybe? Exactly. One of the main points of it is to escape predators and survive. Then it doesn't make that much sense to drop the tail and then to have that process caused so much trauma that you know it impacts your survival later on of course it's going to like be negatively impacted by having to heal it regrow it and then not have like as strong as a tail as it did before Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's just like it should be not painful so, so painful that you can't keep on living as a lizard who's dropped his tail good point side note i did some digging and yes all experts seem to agree that it doesn't hurt But can you imagine if you got in a fight with someone and as a distraction, you just dropped your butt at their feet and then ran and it didn't even hurt? Another reason why lizards deserve you stopping and physically saluting them when you see them. Like me with a migraine, I couldn't fight anyone. (laughs) Um, And also James Irvine wants to know, what's with the whole eye blood shooting? Can we talk about horned lizards? But my undergrad advisor, George Menendorf, was one of the people who like did the experiments with them and like wrote that up. And so it's basically they're bursting an eye vessel, a blood vessel in their eye to like shoot the blood and hopefully, you know, get away. And that's just to terrify the shit out of whatever's trying to eat them? Yeah. Oh my God, that's and so then metal. And might, might also be like a little nasty. <laughs> Super nasty. It's yeah. so <laughs> hardcore death metal though, where it's like... Instead of just dropping a tail or, I don't know, like having a fan behind their head mm-hmm. that comes out, they just burst their own blood vessels and shoot it at someone. Yeah. Oh, that's so respectable. I love that so much. Just Google horned lizard shooting blood from its eyes if you don't believe me. Again, salute the lizards. Jennifer Alvarez wants to know, do anoles raise their young or stay in packs? I saw a dad anole with a much smaller kid anole the other day and wondered. As far as I know, they don't raise their young. Um, it might have just been that they were occupying the same space at the same time, which lizards do sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if it's like a lot of times lizards do get pretty aggressive and territorial, but other times you might see a couple right next to each other, especially if it's like early in the morning and everybody's just waking up and everybody has to warm up and no one has the energy to fight just yet and mm-hmm. that type of thing. Where are these lizards sleeping? Are there bunk beds full of lizards? So, 
Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so, um, like, during, like, the regular season, so, like, you're in the winter, the winter is ending, spring is coming out, and, like, you have a hibernacula, and in this hibernacula is, like, hundreds of lizards. <laughs> and so then, like, the, it starts to get warm, and everybody's, like, we're coming out, and we're spreading out. And, like, the big, you know... Uh, dominant lizards are staying in the closest to the hibernacula and everybody else is having to go further and further away in order to find their own territories and then they find crevices or something to to mm-hmm. have their own little houses or whatnot and then like for gnolls stuff that live in trees then it's just like well we got to share this tree <laughs> and uh, this is this is my spot on the tree and you better go to your spot on the tree and and are they are they overwintering are they hibernating Mm-hmm. Anoles, yeah, they will. Oh, they do. Do most lizards hibernate? Yes. Really? So they start to come out like in the spring, then mm-hmm. maybe. Oh my gosh, I love. Yeah. Like in Tucson, their their period is shorter because like it's a shorter period of like really cold weather. So like you'll see them all the way up until like December, and then they'll go away for a while, and then they'll come back out in like the end of February, beginning of March. Oh, I love that when we're in the middle of holiday nuttiness and we're having warm cocoa and wearing mittens just to think of all of these little lizards just snoozing right like in a big hibernacula Mm -hmm. just a big ball of lizards right pretty much see in a couple months brandon altimus wants to know does parthenogenesis make a species more susceptible to pathogens and other diseases due to reduced genetic variability compared to sexual reproduction Yes, because if everybody's the same and then the same thing is killing everybody, then, you know, there's nothing to protect you from. Yep, you're all going down with the shit. Um, You're like, thanks, mom. Right. And she's like, oh, I know, right? But, oh, poor girl. Katie Chavez wants to know, which lizards make the best pets? I have zero knowledge about the pet trade when it comes to lizards. I'll ask the internet. I love you all. And I did not want to leave you gazing out of a bus window thinking, but what is the best pet lizard? So I asked the internet and one site said that the leopard gecko is probably the most popular pet reptile in captivity today. They say these small lizards are available in a variety of pleasing colors and patterns. Their care requirements are very simple and they are generally docile. Now, where did I get this information about best pet lizards? You ask? Well, at bestpetlizard.com. So I'm going to reckon they must be either an authority on the matter or they are just very crafty, deceitful gecko lobbyists. But Katie Chavez, another patron, Sarah Clips, did chime in on the question thread and added, crested geckos forever with five hard-eyed emojis. And I think that lends a certain impassioned authority to her console, which brings us to a semantics. Amanda Rincon wants to know, hello, what are the differences between lizards and geckos? Not all succulents are cacti, but all cacti are succulents. Yes. So in this, the cacti is the gecko. Kind of like toads or frogs. Yeah. I guess you have like different families Mm -hmm. of lizards. So then, yeah, that that works. It's all under the lizard umbrella. Right. Renee Coley asks, I had a green iguana for a while and she laid one clutch of eggs while I had her but she ate them. Um, <laughs> well, I would, off the top of my head, I would just assume that she knows that they weren't fertilized. And so I was like, hmm, well, that's energy I put out. Guess it's energy I'm putting back in. Instead of just letting them sit there and rot. God. Oh, thank God women don't have to do that once a month. Right. You're like, I made it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah. Last Patreon question. Megan McLean says, are there poisonous, venomous lizards besides the Komodo dragon? 
So uh, there are other venomous lizards. So you have the Mexican beaded lizard, and then you have the Gila monster. <gasps> the Gila monster is venomous. Mm-hmm. Why do the Gila monster has such beady skin? You know what I mean? To let you know that it's venomous. Don't really? mess with me. I am a very like interestingly brightly colored thing, and I am slow moving, and I don't want to be bothered. But if you bother me, you can you can you can have the smoke. It's, it is all for you if you want it. Really? But I'm telling you, you don't. <laughs> what happens with their venom? Um, so it doesn't. It's not like that bad for people. Mm-hmm. Like for like small mammals and stuff, when they eat it, it's just like, oh, I guess I'm dying now. But like for people, it's more of like their jaws because like when they clamp down on you, like that's it. You this is a if it's on your wrist, this is your new watch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like don't don't mess with them <laughs> because they they'll clamp down and they won't let go. How do you get a Gila monster off of you? The hospital. Yeah. <laughs> professional help. yes you do need a professional at that point and you love gila monsters i want to see one in the wild so badly it just has not happened where do you go to look so people have been telling me to go to like bear canyon and sabino canyon and i've been going and like i haven't seen anything yet although i might have seen a mountain lion i'm not sure might have gotten eaten, almost eaten by it. I'm not 100% what? sure. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we were walking from the parking lot to the trails, and we didn't even make it to an actual trail yet. And then I was just like, hmm, that looks interesting. Hmm, are those eyes? <laughs> and they're, like, like kind of high up, and, like, they're forward-facing. And I was just like, do you see that? And, like, she was like, no. Nah. Let's go. (laughs) And so, like, we just turned around and left. At that point, we weren't even looking for heel monsters anymore. We were just like, let's just, let's just walk around. Because she's never done it before. And I was, because, like, like, I'm the friend who, like, drags my friends to go do new experiences. (laughs) And what would you do if you saw a Gila monster in the wild? I'd probably cry. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be so happy. Just happy tears. Where do they hang out in the wild? Under rocks, around rocks? Underground for the vast majority of the year. People have been telling me, too, is that everybody who's seen one this year has been telling me that they've been seeing them on the roads, like just crossing the road. Really? I never see it when I'm driving along the road. Erin says that between the two summers she spent as an undergrad in Arizona, plus three years in grad school, she has wanted to see a Gila monster for five years. Five years. I'm going to cross my fingers that there's a Gila out there that you get to spot and you have a moment with it that doesn't involve the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Yes. You know, have a safe distance with wildlife. It's totally cool to go out looking for it and finding it. But safe distances, y'all. Like, (laughs) and now that would be a good and a bad thing. But what is the worst thing about your job? What's that sucks? Um, Something's got to suck. I guess like. You know, once you're in the field for like four weeks at a time and you still got, you know, another two weeks to go, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this now. I'm ready to be <laughs> home. <laughs> Do you travel a lot for field work? Um, so in the, the Chiricahuas are about two and a half, three hours away from Tucson. Mm-hmm. So like once I'm out there, I'm out there mm-hmm. and I'm not coming back until the season is over. And when is that season usually like? So... It varies. Um, For lizard people, it can be anywhere from like May through September. 
but I'm going in July. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which brings me to another question. Is there such a thing as a shape-shifting lizard person? Mm, I wouldn't know because it changed its shape so that it could, you know, conceal itself from me. But I'm not going to say no. You never know. You guys don't ever have to do field work with the Illuminati to see if there's shape-shifting lizard aliens. (laughs) You're like, I got one. (laughs) I wish. That would be cool. What is the best thing about lizards or your job? The The best best thing. For me, it's just being able to, like, handle these animals without causing them, like, a whole lot of stress. And then I'm like, oh, I can see you. I can learn more about you. I also have, like, the opportunity to take undergrad students out with me through the Doris Duke program, Conservation Scholars program. And so um, I get to teach them about lizards and they get to do their own, like, mini projects. And, like, it's a lot of fun being able to just go out with them and you know, learn together and explore together. That's pretty fun. Any advice for people who want to be serologists? Um, I would say to, you know, get out there and find a mentor. I think that's what's really been good for me. I've been lucky enough to have two really great mentors. So George for undergrad and um, Michael Bogan for grad school have both been like phenomenal. And once you have an interest, just finding those people who would really support you. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's key. Like once you have those people who will have your back, then you're, you're set. Of course, you're going to like run into hardships, but they'll help you, you know, get over those obstacles. Yeah, that's great. I've heard that before that a lot of people um, who are really successful, really recommend finding a mentor. And a lot of people are too afraid to ask, but yeah. they don't realize that mentors do want to help. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure that you'll, you're will you a mentor to other people already yeah. and you will probably continue to be. Yeah. And I mean, also, like, I get being too afraid to ask because, like, I'm definitely one of those people where it's like, I have to prepare myself for, like, talking to new people and meeting <laughs> new people. And, like, because, like, I have, like... You know, that, that social anxiety, I'm just like, oh, what if I'm weird? I'm walking weird right now. My my tongue isn't working quite right. <laughs> There's spit. There's spit coming down my face. Oh, my goodness, the spit. <laughs> like, And so it's like, like th- there's definitely like a whole lot of practice there. And then you also have to like get over that fear of people telling you no, mm-hmm. because like, you know, if you ask enough people, somebody's going to say yes. And hopefully it's one of the people who you actually want. And then, you know. You'll take good opportunities as they come. You don't have to take all opportunities because, you know, not all opportunities are good opportunities or like the right ones for you. But definitely just like not being afraid to go after what you want and then just being like, okay, this is what I want. These are the things I have to do to get there. This person told me no, but this person over here might say yes. And sometimes when people tell you no, it's not because they don't like you or because they don't believe in you. They might not have time. And so then it's just like, okay, this person said no. Hey, I know you said no, but can you have some other resource? Like, can I have some other resources from you? Like, do you know somebody who you can put me in contact with or, you know, who should I go talk to next or like what direction should I go in? And like a lot of the times people will be like, okay, well, yeah, I said no, but here are these other things. I got you for that. And sometimes people are just mean and you just have to write that off. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but that's good life advice for any job. Yeah. All of that is like such solid life advice you could use if you were a clothing designer or, you know, if you any aspiration you have, that is such solid advice that is so good to hear mm-hmm. if you just have that kind of resilience, which I think science fosters a lot of resilience because yeah. there's a lot of resilience and data and experiments. And now what about parting piece of advice? How do you find that lizard? If you are playing find that lizard 
Any strategies or is it just attentiveness? So like real life or the game? The game. The game. Turn your brightness all the way up. (laughs) (laughs) And then have like a strategy. Like like for me, like when I'm like, hmm, I need to find a picture for this game today. And I don't know where this lizard is in it. And if it's in my phone, there's a 50% chance that there's a lizard here. So I turn my brightness all the way up. And then I start at one quarter and I go down and then I go over a little bit. And then I go back up and then I go over a little bit, go back down. And I'm just like scanning the picture until like I find it. And then sometimes I'm just like, well, maybe next time. I love that sometimes you have to find the lizard yes, before we I can find the lizard. Yes, I definitely do. That's how I know that there's like always a lizard in the photo because I spend a long, sometimes I spend a long time <laughs> looking through these photos to make sure that there's actually one in there. You're like, I'm not only the master of this, I'm also a player. Yes. <laughs> um, and where can people find you? So they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Afro underscore Herper. Mm-hmm. So A-F-R-O underscore H-E-R-P-E-R. Um, and yeah. Per usual, there will be links in the show notes and also up on my website at AllieWard.com slash ologies slash serology. And also get the frick ready for Find That Lizard on Wednesdays. And I just found out that Aaron has a Patreon set up at patreon.com slash find that lizard in case you'd like to support these efforts. You're going to have a lot of new players. Yeah, it's so exciting. I hope so. I hope you guys like it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. It was so much fun. I was so nervous and like... <laughs> no reason to be nervous. You're the best. You're my Thank favorite you. serologist. Literally. So ask smart serologists stupid questions and salute the lizards. Salute the lizards. Again, more links are up at alleyward.com slash serology. And we are at ologies on Instagram and on Twitter. Come say hi there. I'm at alleyward with one L on both. Ologies merch is available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis, who host the brand new comedy podcast, You Are That, for helping with merch. You can post your photos and tag them ologies merch so we can repost you on Instagram on Merch Mondays. And thank you, Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo, who admin the Ologies Podcast Facebook group full of nice people. And thanks to whoever started the Ologies Podcast subreddit to chat about episodes. Thanks to Jarrett Sleeper of the Mental Health Podcast, My Good Bad Brain, for editing assistance. And also big thanks to the mustachioed chameleon of the podcasting world, host of the Purrcast and See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris, for editing this all together each week. Could not do it without you. Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And if you listen to the end of the episode each week, you know, I tell you a secret. I learned the hard way that if you get something shipped to you in like a big box, you open that outside because sometimes there's a thirsty warehouse cockroach waiting in the box. And I don't want to talk about it ever, 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 ever. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, The lizards are a buck each. The parrot is $500. That's a hell of a good parrot. Although, I could get 500 lizards for the same price. Girls like swarms of lizards, right? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, 
therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies.